Intro music goes here. Eventually. Maybe. In the future. If we have a future. Let's pretend we have a future. Okay. Let's do this. Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor, myself, and this episode's guest, Ian, tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. My name is Rob Ray. I run the Exoskeleton Art Space in Los Angeles, and which hosts hostesses very infrequent art openings and events <laughs> and also i run the exoskeletal newsletter uh, which is a somewhat frequently sent email newsletter i also the conspiracy the conspiracy i was just i was just uh dropping some in living color references oh man <laughs> this yeah there should really be a reunion of that i'm taylor i i'm an artist and engineer and DIY enthusiast, CAD game evangelist, etc., working out of Chicago, uh, and an academic as well. I'm uh, Ian Duran. I'm um, also, I'm an engineer. I currently work for uh, Siemens Energy. Uh, I'm an R&D materials engineer, and um, this, is, uh, this is my first attempt at uh, assisting with a podcast, so <laughs> wish me luck assisting that you're like you're like the you're the, you're the main chorus baby you're the talent ian oh yes. dear that's it. oh, no. it's <laughs> very intimidating this you know writer. like yeah. like you know like engineers like like to you know hang out like in a cubicle and stuff like that we're, we're not good on stage so i'll uh i'll see what ian, i can do so i should i should note i should note that we grew up together full disclosure oh yeah that's gonna that's gonna come back to bite me isn't it um so yeah basically like uh my bio is uh i i grew up in uh shaker heights ohio with taylor we went to the same high school um and uh after um uh, dropping out of school multiple times after high school i ended up uh, moving out west to california where that's where i kind of got into making stuff um that's where i learned to i don't know do uh carpentry i worked for as a contractor for a while um, so not very heady stuff, but got introduced to, uh, a lot of crafts such as, you know, like welding and, um, boat working and things like that. And, uh, at some point when I decided I was ready to go back to school, um, got, went back to school and got a degree, uh, in engineering from Virginia Tech, which is how I ended up where I am now, uh, which is kind of a roundabout way, uh, doing design engineering work for a large multinational German corporation, um, which is not as bad as it might sound on face value. In your ma materials engineer? Is so right? uh, in my, yeah, in my, well, in my current position, that's kind of a, like a broad um, uh, uh, job title. So, um, so we do like development work. Um, a lot of it is materials related. My, background is more of like a mechanical engineering um although i guess i got a degree in biological systems engineering which is more like chemistry uh chemical engineering but um so right now we mm -hmm. do materials system development we then like we do tooling development we do um, process development it's all um so i guess specifically like i work in um 
a division that designs and builds gas turbines, like for um, power generation. So like, um, you know, uh, if you guys are familiar with a gas turbine, it's kind of like a jet engine, but the ones we build are like the size of a house and can power like a, a small city. Let me ask you a question about this. You're working on this huge stuff, and uh, it seems to me that creativity definitely comes into it, but at the same time, uh, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I feel like your creativity might be different than my creativity. I think we've talked about this a little bit, but I'd like to hear you expound upon that. Are you creative at work, or is engineering more about applying? Like to me, when there's so many rules and things that have to work, I kind of can't imagine being creative in that scenario. So how do you deal with that? Sure. So um, like from what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, especially like in more of the um, like R&D realm, I would say it's super creative. Mm -hmm. it's every day we're, we're basically trying to solve problems that um, at least to our knowledge, nobody has had to solve before. Otherwise the technology that we're developing uh. probably would already exist. Right. So um although it's maybe not creative in what you would consider a uh, traditional you know, like standpoint. From an mm -hmm. engineering standpoint, like the technical problems we're trying to solve are novel, and a lot of the fun comes out of coming up with creative solutions for them. If, if we promise that every one of our listeners will sign an NDA, can you, can you give us a real-world example? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, uh, so, so basically like we, like right now I'm working in the casting industry, which is, um, I know mm -hmm. you're super familiar with, right, Taylor? Um, well, not the industry, but sure, like sure. casting, right? So like lost, lost wax casting, mm -hmm. right? And, um, one of the challenges that we have constantly is like, we're trying to manufacture, um, parts with incredibly complex shapes but they're made out of wax and then um, they have to go through all sorts of different heat treat cycles like we're um, we're constantly right. working with like um, the you know material properties of those and so you know we're, we're looking at like this wax structure that has a very complex shape and trying to figure out well how do we prevent it from deforming under these specific like conditions and um, sometimes it requires a process change. Sometimes it requires a change in the geometry. Uh, but ultimately, it's probably very similar to um, some of the challenges you would find, like, like in a studio. If you're trying to create art or some other creative structure, there are just going to be inherent problems with the materials or with the process, and you have to troubleshoot them. You have to find a creative solution to those. Um, maybe it's not what you would... Mm -hmm consider to be the artistic aspect of what you're doing, but it's definitely a creative problem-solving um, process. Nice. Well, geez, good answer. I, I feel like uh, I had expected you to, um, you know, open that gulf uh, wide open, but Rob, I feel like we're just all in it together. <laughs> it's interesting that that lost wax casting is... I mean, I th I feel like in the, you know, uh, it's not something that I think people sort of think about anymore, you know, like, mm -hmm. like 3d printing, like people sort of, I think, think that all that stuff has changed, but it's, I mean, lost wax sure. casting, I think of as a kind of almost like an ancient art or something. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. if I recall correctly, the, uh, they're doing that stuff in China with river mud a couple thousand years ago. Wow. Yes. 
maybe it wasn't Lost Counts specifically, but that they were definitely casting into River Mud. That much I remember reading on the internet. Yeah, but the the, <laughs> the, fundam- the fundamentals haven't necessarily changed, but the challenges are still still there. It's like so just to like just to I guess put it in context. Like usually, I think when you're casting something i i don't know exactly what kind of stuff you would cast like from an artistic standpoint Mm -hmm. but you know say you sculpt something in in wax and then you um you know you uh, i don't know if you like put it in sand or you uh, then cast some kind of like plaster of paris around it and then you melt out the wax and you Mm -hmm. cast metal into that right so what we focus Mm -hmm. on is like we want to have um of course there's a shape to the exterior of that cast part and in our case it's like a, a turbine blade but what's like critical to the the success of the turbine blade is actually the internal um, passages, right? And so a lot of our technology is focused on how do you make the most complex internal parts to that cast component. So you have to manufacture something that then you cast your wax around, which is like the lost wax part of it, and then you cast again around that so that you can pour metal into it and create a complex exterior (laughs) as well as like a crazy three-dimensional interior component to it. So there's actually two different pours on top of each other? So the way that we do it is we create a solid interior structure, which we we call a core, Mm -hmm. and then you would um, inject wax around that, which forms the shape of the blade, and then you... Um, shell it which is the becomes the structure that you pour metal into and after you've leached out Mm -hmm. the interior of the blade then you end up with a solid blade with a or you know a solid exterior with a hollow core which creates all the cooling passages for the blade dude dude (laughs) that's awesome yeah wow yeah uh and do you do you what do you do you you are an a creative uh, to taylor's point earlier i guess you are a, a creative person also outside of your work and i was just curious if you could tell us a little bit about that i would lo- i would like to think so um i uh, <laughs> like so <laughs> so i don't know maybe this challenge <laughs> will determine whether or not i'm a creative person outside of work um but i do you know like i have a lot of interests like um whether or not it's um, usually it, it's related to building stuff, I guess, like, uh, I'm, you know, working on the car or building a 3D printer. I have like a press of 3D printer that I've worked on, like whether or not it's um, doing household projects. I don't know. I, I don't I'm not sure if I would um, call myself creative or just somebody who likes to make stuff like uh, building. things. Well, well could, could I jump in here real quick? Yeah. I'm so sure. so just if I so I, if I remember to, to being a youth along with you, some examples of your creativity. Uh, one was you were doing a video editing project in 1996. Uh, I believe you were literally editing on a dinosaur, if I recall. <laughs> and so, <laughs> sounds, sounds so you got, right. but if, so the project, if I remember right, it was uh, a, a mockumentary about the non-existent gang problem at our high school including special effects where people were getting shot with sprays of blood and things like that. Um, yes. This was far enough bad. back that I, I I think I, as a very nervous child, managed to um, anxiety myself out of all participation, even though you were kind enough to offer 
But then you also taught yourself how to blow uh, fireballs out of your mouth with gasoline, I recall. <laughs> that's another. Yes, so like like whether or not that's creative. That. Yeah, that's not creative. That's, uh, <laughs> but yes. I think that's a, that's a creative solution to <laughs> no, you, you uh, know uh, continuing better, to respirate. <laughs> a better example is probably like when. Do you remember when we like uh, uh, figured out how to make napalm with like soap and gasoline, yes. and then yes. drew, drew all over the <laughs> we, like drew all over the driveway and lit it on fire, which was very creative. Not with the foresight of realizing it, that it would leave a lasting mark on the driveway that my mother would then discover when she got home. <laughs> but but even more creative, and and I think that the creativity here mixes together with a complete lack of foresight, um, partially what you're describing. But so so basically, to make this substance, it's soap particles supersaturated in gasoline, right? And so anyone in their right mind would be would buy powdered soap in order to accomplish this feat but we actually we actually bought bars of solid soap and then tried to cut them into a dust on the uh with a paring knife mm-hmm. <laughs> and then true. and then beyond that do you do you recall the way that we um we assembled the uh the double boiler uh, for this project um, i believe it was a tuna can filled with gasoline floating free in rapidly boiling water on a gas stove, which uh, which is not the uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's that the smartest move. Uh, Rob, you want to talk about projects, or do you have more questions before we get down to yeah, it? Yeah, let's do it. Challenge number two. Challenge, challenge number, t- number two. Challenge number two is D and D dice. And uh, mm-hmm. Taylor, do you want to go first? You can. Uh, so so um, how this works uh, for if you're tuning into this uh, podcast for the first time is uh, we we'll be posting images for one another to look at and then uh, describing the project so you can sort of understand how they uh, how they exist in the world. Uh, but then you can go through uh, to the episode online and look at pictures if you want, but we try to really work to make sure that you can have a good image of, of it in your head uh, through listening yep. to it, and that's sort Paint of a, you a challenge a word for us. Picture. That's right. Yeah. Dungeons & Dragons dice were on my mind... Um, like everybody else, I watched Stranger Things and then realized, oh, you know, I remembered, oh, that was so much fun when I used to play with my buddies. And so, uh, weirdly, I feel like, and I've talked to a couple people for whom this is true, but that uh, Dungeons and Dragons is kind of a way to get back in touch with the friends of your youth that have, you know, since gotten busy uh, having kids and going corporate, <laughs> going corporate and selling out and so forth. So, so uh, Ian and I, along with three other folks, uh, you know, kind of got back together. And it was it was pretty amazing to see how we just fell back into that uh, that groove, you know. So thinking about the dice, it wasn't just uh, uh, being ironic and you know thinking about this goofy thing from the '80s, but it was something that I was actively and am en- actively engaged in. Uh, so of course, the, the the first thing that you do, you know, the most iconic die from Dungeons and Dragons is the the twenty sided die, and I believe it's an. I'm, I'm sure you guys looked this up too. What is it, I- Ico? Icosahedron, am I getting that right? I believe that's the shape. Uh, in any case, Icosahedron, yeah, I think so. So, so I was looking online, and you know, there are plenty of <clears throat> sites that have already covered this kind of um, uh, retro-looking thing. Like Adafruit, I think, has a giant 3D-printed 20-sided die that makes sounds and says, you know, like critical hit adventurer and so forth. And Instructables had 
molds online so that you could make like 20-sided die bath bombs or something like that. So, so there's all this stuff related to the 20-sided die. So I looked and looked and, and was thinking about, I don't know whether I'd make a big one or make one that was electronically enabled or something, but I, I realized after a while that I didn't want to necessarily mine that area. I wanted to make sure that we you know, had some space between our projects. So I started looking into um, sort of really old school dice games and the origin of dice games. And uh, this led me to Knucklebones. So if you, if you Google Knucklebones, uh, and this is one thing I love about uh, the, the Wikipedia and the Google hole, like a, just like how I got a tattoo when I was 18, which Ian was there for, uh, of a band that I did not know and then discovered the band because of the tattoo. Similarly, uh, Googling Knucklebones, you can see that there's a movie that came out in 2016, a horror movie about a group of college students who are somehow killed by an evil pair of dice or something. So it looks like it has two definitely stars. bookmarking. But if you go through to the Wikipedia page, it talks about how knucklebones were sort of the origin of the dice game, and you're talking about uh, literal knucklebones. Uh, and and I've read a couple um, so different scientific terms for it. I think there was one starting with a P, but on the Wikipedia page they talk about the astrolagus is this uh, or astra astragalus, I guess maybe. Um, or this bone found in these different uh, farm animals that's probably of no use for anything else. But the cool thing about the bone, uh, I don't know if they have it on this page. Oh, yeah, if you go about halfway down, it's called the pastern bone on Wikipedia. And they, um, they have this really distinct shape uh, where you can tell there's at least four sides. Uh, I think the other two are unlikely to be landed upon, but there are these sort of two convex sides and two concave sides and so forth. But I guess this is the origin of jacks. And so I like that idea that, you know, people, you can just kind of imagine, it's like you, you imagine, like, well, how did people ever figure out that they could, like, eat rotten kimchi or whatever? <laughs> and so, like, there's, there's some dude, like, sitting around and says, uh, you know, guys, just hear me out, but, like, <laughs> why don't we throw a bunch of knuckle bones on the ground and bet money on it? So, <laughs> just, I really like that idea of, of using animal parts for that. Anyway. It's very metal. So this got me into, <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> wow. Uh, so this got me into the, the pastern bones. And then, um, like with so many things, you can just uh, pop onto Thingiverse and download a, um, a pair of uh, you know, uh, pastern bones that have been scanned up. So I'll make sure to have that link in the, the show notes. So I printed these out at work. I work at uh, Columbia College. We have a great uh, resin printer. So I printed out a bunch of these pastern bones. And then the idea was how could I find a way to integrate this really old ancient version of the game with this updated version of the game. So what I decided to do was make this little Arduino-enabled um, this little Arduino-enabled setup. So, so you go into processing, right? So that's that free IDE that you can open up. Um, it's a, a programming environment uh, that's open source, and that runs on the computer. And then I had this connected out to a piezo sensor. So for those that aren't familiar, uh, piezoelectronics deal with the properties of crystal that move in two directions. So uh, piezo sensors are what makes the beeping sound in old phones or smoke alarms, things like that. And if you electrify this thin layer of crystal on a piezo sensor, it'll make a buzz. Uh, but then also if you flex the piezo sensor, it produces voltage. So it works in both directions. So the idea is I made this little wooden box and when you throw the pastern bones into it, it creates vibrations. And you can teach an Arduino to interpret those vibrations as numbers and send those back to processing over a USB cable. 
uh, once it hits the processing uh, application, you can pick which die you want to be rolling. So you can take your pastern bones and have them count as a coin flip or count as a 10-sided die or a 20 or a 100 or whatever. And I just got a little basic version of the application going, uh, but some extensibility I'm really excited about are A, um, you could have this thing map critical hits, for example. So if you're rolling a 20-sided die and you're doing slashing damage, you, know, you could have the program automatically decide you cut off every one of somebody's fingers or you stick them right in the eye or whatever. <laughs> and so this thing could be uh, you know, sort of expanded out that way. Or potentially you could plug it into Roll20, which is the online system that my buddies and I are using to play Dungeons and Dragons. So if you hooked into the uh, through JavaScript with the Roll20 API, you could actually use this physical rolling device to interface with the virtual um, sort of video game overlay on top of Dungeons and Dragons. Wow. And that's mine. Taylor, you posted a video. Should Ian and I look at it and then talk about yeah, what Yeah, why don't you guys watch the video? And there's a, I guess there's kind of some sound. You can decide if you want to roll that sound or not pretty crazy so you're like rolling the 3d printed knuckles and then on the user interface it pops up the the number is that what i'm seeing mm-hmm. that's right yeah, pretty cool and yeah so and then the, the user can select what their rolling range is mm-hmm. and so the the um uh like so you're rolling it into is it like a wooden tray mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool. So how and and so how is it doing the processing then? The relationship between the the three D printed knuckles and the Arduino. Sure. So there's um I have this uh, mega box of um, piezo sensors I got when I was building out this sledgehammer operated keyboard, and I was interested in trying to make the key is on the keyboard sensitive to force so that uh, the harder you hit a key, the bigger the font size would be. <laughs> and so um, I wound up buying, you know, just a metric shit ton of these things and have them laying around. So uh, it's pretty simple. I just took one and taped it to the back of this piece of wood. And then when you roll the pastern bones, and, and honestly, you can roll anything that's of a significant mass, right? So I could roll a bunch of like loose change or rocks or whatever in there. But mm-hmm. rolling them in there produces an analog voltage uh, which goes to the Arduino so that gets interpreted from between 0 and 5 volts into um, some kind of numerical range and so I think if I'm not mistaken the Arduino will grab a number that's like between 0 and 5000 or something like that so it takes that number and it shoots it to processing and then the user plugs in what the die is that they're working with so if you select the D20 then you can, um, you know, you'll get a, a roll range that's between one and twenty, and then the number that's coming from the analog sensor is used as the random seed. So that's the one that ensures that you get fresh numbers instead of getting the same rolls over and over again. Awesome. All right. Ian is next. I think I think I'm gonna give it a shot. All right. So um, so I'm gonna send a a, um, a PDF your way. Um, but so basically, cool. like uh, what what my my project Ooh. morphed considerably um, from the beginning to uh, to the end of this project. Originally, it was based off of uh, Taylor and I had a conversation. I don't know, maybe a, a month or so back, 
about like uh, like just what kind of crazy ideas could we do with with dice and one of the things that I'd always um like dreamed of doing was was um creating like a an electronic set of dice that was essentially like maybe more like six-sided dice and you could roll them and it didn't matter what face it landed on like the all the faces were identical mm-hmm. but um essentially like the it would have electronics inside of it that would um that would display a number that was you know randomly generated by the electronics so it was kind of like independent of of how the actual physical dice landed um and uh so anyway so i was like oh man i want to do something kind of related to that like either just see if i can make some dice that that would be like backlit and um and there was some kind of randomness to how they were um uh like how you would you would roll them and what the results would be and uh very very quickly i realized that um miniaturization of electronics and manufacturing incredibly small things out of either plastic or um, metal was a little bit beyond the, the scope of like a one and a half week long project. Um, and, uh, so, so I decided the first thing I decided was, well, I can't do something like super small, so I'm going to do something like super big. Um, so going, (laughs) going back to like the 20 sided die, which is essentially like always your go-to die for any kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, uh, I decided I would try to make a monstrous, like, um, a 20-sided die that you could roll, and, um, and maybe depending on the, uh, on the, um, like, whatever face it ends up, like, maybe the colors just change. So the numbers are actually, like, built into the dice, but, um, but the, (laughs) but the color would change, right? And so, um, so the original idea was I was going to get like an Arduino. I was going to make this big die. It was going to be backlit, and all of the lights for each yeah. of the numbers were going to be like individually addressable. So I could like each number would have a different color, and as you rolled it, it would have like a little accelerometer that would you know kind of randomly like help yeah. to generate the different colors. Anyway, that also so um, once I actually got into building a 20-sided die and realizing how complex that process is, like, all the electronics just kind of went to crap. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, have spent, I have spent the past week and a half, like, doing nothing but just trying to figure out how in God's name do you make a 20-sided polygon, like, <laughs> out of some kind of physical material and end up with something that's, that um, resembles, like, uh, that, that geometry. Um, so, uh, can you guys see <laughs> any of the stuff that I sent over now? Yeah, that's, that's why I was getting so excited. Rob, do you have the PDF pulled up? I do, and I'm very excited. <laughs> oh man, I'm so excited. So, uh, yeah, so, so the first, the first image I'm seeing is, uh, and then what, what are we calling this? An icosahedron? Is that the way to say it? I, I sure. was going with icosahedron. Something like that, but it's, um, Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's the twenty side shape. And, and Rob, what do you think? Is that thing like eighteen inches or two feet across? It or looks really pretty big. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's huge. <laughs> yeah, so it's a it's a twenty sided die. It's black in color. The finished object. It has these red glowing numbers on every single face. Yeah, they, yeah. So, so tell us tell us more, Ian. I mean, that must have been a pain in the ass to make. 
It was it was a little complicated. I have like so in true engineering fashion, I created a PowerPoint presentation that shows all the different steps of manufacturing <laughs> with fo- photo documentation. Um, so, uh, but basically, I the one thing that really I guess kind of saved my ass, which is really just a, a function of the geometry, is that twenty sided die or. Uh, just made of equilateral triangles, so all I had to do yeah, was, yeah. Um, uh, you know, figure out a size for the triangle, and then the the complexity was really more like how do you get like the angles between them, right? The bevel, um, yeah, yep. And uh, um, so I made them. Each one is a foot long, twelve inches on each side. Um, so if I think the max dimension across is somewhere around. They were 10.39 inches tall, so that would give you like about I don't know, 20 and the five six eighths um, in terms of width. So it's a little over 20 inches wide. Um, and then it took a lot of it took a lot of trial and error to try to. I created um, some like fixtures to try to assemble like all the different triangles to get the angles right. And then in the end, um, so if you look at, like, <laughs> I'm going to... Oh, the other thing I meant to mention, I didn't mention this earlier, is, like, a lot of the projects that I try to do, I like making just out of trash, especially trash that I find at work. And luckily, like, working in he- heavy industry, like, you find all sorts of really cool stuff. Oh, in this case, fantastic trash. <laughs> yeah. Um, in this case, it was really just, like, we bought... So recently, we bought a new x-ray machine, um, and uh, it came in, As like, you do. this monstrous... <laughs> yeah, no, you know. It's like Ian, Ian, Ian please, stick to, the, to stick to the interesting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, and so, like, the x-ray machine... Like the X-ray machine's cool in and of itself, but it came in this really awesome sure. box too. Like so, they shipped it from somewhere in Europe, and um, and they built a box that I could have like if I had given this box to my children, it would have been like uh, you know this amazing fort that they could have played in. But anyway, we just like tear it apart and throw it out. So I took um, I have some pictures of like the pallets that um, I took the pallets which had very nice wood to them and. Um, uh, chopped the pallets up and used all of that as like the for the faces for the internal structure um and i cut them i actually had to cut the so i ripped the 10.39 inch wide strips out of the plywood and then actually freehanded all of the triangles with a jigsaw um and then (laughs) set the and then to do the bevels i set the um, the table saw at like a 20 degree angle, which, um, uh, worked out like almost perfectly. Um, and then, uh, and then also made these blocks, which, uh, if you go down to like slide seven, um, I put blocks with the same angle into them and then just like used a brad nailer to nail the triangles onto these blocks and kind of built out the, the yeah. larger structure based off of that. Killer, dude! Wow, awesome. And, and so, so the LEDs are they still addressable LEDs? You're just not currently addressing them at the moment. No. So at this point, like, so what I did is I kind of took um, a shortcut in that I had a large just RGB like a flexible LED strip, and and actually, if you go mm-hmm. way down to like for sure, I can slide see slide fourteen. So I basically like made this rat's nest mm-hmm. of um, LEDs. 
within the uh, interior of the structure. And so everything's kind of backlit because it turns out like if you want to light each um, number independently, you have to create some kind of a light tight structure behind the number. Um, right. Uh -huh. And, you know, so anyway, it all became... You know, my original plans were quite grand, but this is this is what I could do in a week and a half. And then you'd also have like twenty different colors you'd have to come up with. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you could yeah. do, but yeah, yeah, sure. um, yeah. Or it, maybe you could do like the same color on each opposing face. Um, totally. Yeah. Uh -huh. yep. I thought. I thought so far. I thought it turned out pretty well. I can't roll the damn thing. It's. I don't think it would up very well but um, yeah does, does it have to be plugged at. into the wall so right now it does but um so it's just a like it'll take five to 24 volts so my like uh -huh. the, the long-term plan or you know if i had like another day probably would have just gotten a bunch of like c cell batteries and you know created a yeah. battery pack that would be enough because it does with that many leds i don't know how many it's probably got 30 30 or 40 LEDs in there, so it does have a pretty decent um, current draw. Excellent. Well done, D. That's a great project. Yeah, it's really great. It's I, I, I will admit in my head, I was like, how many triangles did he have to cut out? And I was like, oh yeah, 20. Because it's a 20 setting. <laughs> <laughs> so That's why he's the engineer, boss. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. And just, so you cut out each, so just to maybe paint a little bit of a picture, it's a 20-sided uh -huh. die, so there's 20 triangles that are roughly 11 inches uh on each side right so it's like 11 inch triangle and then so and i wanted to just double check this you use a roughly like a 20 degree angle on each side of the triangles on the plywood to sort of make sure that they all kind of press fit together is that right yeah they're beveled like to uh it's like a 20 degree bevel which um which is what kind of allows mm -hmm. them to once you you know, the each each side of the triangle actually fits properly instead of being spaced out because the um, because of the interference of the flat plywood. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah that was mm -hmm. the thing that I I had a fantasy myself about being like maybe I could make a twenty sided dice, and I got so freaked out by the bevel. I was like, I, I don't. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I pretty much did that too. <laughs> well, but we should also note though. I, I think it's so funny that Ian. I know you've got access to some really advanced tooling at work, but you took the opportunity here. I mean, the fact that you freehanded those triangles, I find hilarious and terrifying at the Amazing. same time. Yeah. Yeah. You jigsaw out the, the lettering for each number too, right? Yeah. I actually have, um, do I have a picture of it? There's a scroll saw. You do. So, so you got it. I in got, there. Uh, okay. Saw. So I yeah. got the scroll saw, which is ironically, that was a gift to me from my uncle when I was like, 14 years old this was used to be in my <laughs> basement and i swear to god like i have like i finally got it back from my mother like just a couple of years ago and now all of a sudden it's like oh my god you can do so many cool things with a scroll saw like it's not like your go-to um uh tool <laughs> for most people yeah. but man if you want to cut cut right. numbers out of a 20-sided die it's that's the way to go that's the tool yeah it looks beautiful yeah, it looks great. Well, plus with the scroll saw, one thing that I always love about it is uh, when you set up the blade tension, it's not so much that you're doing it with a torque wrench, but you pluck it like a uh, like a harp string and you're listening for a certain note. 
you know, yeah. so I'm just, I'm loving that everything that Ian did was with these really sort of futzy, goofy tools <laughs> instead of, you know, like him sitting down at the Siemens mega brain and having it just crap out the uh, project yeah. for him. So. <laughs> I, I did think um, we have like a five axis um, milling machine at work, you know, like for doing like all these crazy complex tools that we manufacture, you know, and I was like, oh, maybe I could use that to like create some kind of crazy dye. I was like, eh, that doesn't sound like much fun. Yeah. Where's the story in that? I know, really. I was cur- it's true. I was curious about the materials that you, there's a material that you put behind each number as a sort of light diffuser. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's that's also from the trash. Um, it was uh, some somebody bought like <laughs> I think it's just like um, this like translucent polycarbonate plastic that we like actually what we use it for is we'll take it we'll cut out like a big sheet like a two by three sheet of it and bolt it to the top of our metal um, work tables so that like you don't scratch stuff up and um, so I just. Yeah, but it works great for diffusing, like, um, you know, light. Uh, like, you could make a light box it out of great. it or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Wow. You, this is so great. Thank you so much. For sure, dude. That's an amazing project. Good job, man. It's amazing, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited just to... I'm excited to sit down and be like, I get to post these photos to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i'm giddy that's awesome oh rub what do you have in store for us okay um so i'm gonna post um five images they're numbered one through five um and if you want just kind of flip through them and look at them and feel free to maybe just describe what you see yeah for sure and then uh i'll just chime in as you go through your description here if i can get it So I'm seeing a picture of Rob looking more serious than I've ever seen him with what appears, to, I believe this is a dice rolling tower. And also it looks like he he has some kind of laptop integration too. And Ian, what do you make of the mind flex there? Are you yeah, I was going to say, it looks like his mind is like somehow melted with, melted, melted with the uh, dice rolling tower. Is that what's going on? Indeed. That's, I'm guessing that's what we're going to hear about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, it looks like we've got Arduino. We have some kind of um, uh, relay board. Mm-hmm. And, uh, ooh, and blank dice. Wow, I'm wondering if Rob and I had a very a, a parallel idea of some kind. Uh, I'm seeing a, a solenoid maybe in the uh, that lets the dice into the top of the rolling tower. Uh, and I'm definitely seeing some trash plywood, which I'm loving. <laughs> a lot of that. <laughs> trash plywood and, and super glue, or hot glue, rather. Fantastic. Yes, I see. Oh, I definitely see a bunch of like standard like Dungeons & Dragons dice. However, uh, no numbers appear to be on them. They're just like plain white dice. Uh-huh. Wow, so maybe... Uh... Maybe Rob has to send certain brain signals in order for the dice to be released to roll. Is that mm-hmm. what I'm understanding? Mm-hmm. I'm seeing right here. 
is true. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> it is true. Yeah, Reb, <laughs> spill the beans, or, or do you want us to keep yeah. uh, no, switching yeah. around here? Yeah, I'll go for it. So it is a, a mind-controlled dice roller. Uh, Whoa. Uh, it is... It uses uh there was a game that was created by Mattel called the Mindflex. Yeah. Um that uh there are many instructables styled uh kind of um repurposing uh instructables for, for this Mindflex so you can uh, essentially take the serial feed out of the what is essentially like an EEG, right? Like you're detecting mm-hmm. uh uh, changes in I assume voltage, but I should look into that uh, from your from your brain. And so the Mindflex has um, like a little small metal sensor that rests on your forehead, and then you have two clips that clip to your ears. Uh, and the Mindflex will send a serial uh, signal to this sort of game, this kind of plastic game console that will do things like. Uh, rotate cubes or um or whatnot uh the game didn't do particularly well uh even though people liked it because the interface was super cool but the gaming itself was a little bit lackluster i think so mattel canceled it um so i i um initially was like oh i want to do something with dice and uh and i i didn't because the 20-sided dice like like casting dice freaked me out um also because um uh Todd Bailey who's who's a, fr- a, fr- a friend of ours uh in I think 2008 did a great uh, Chicago Dorkbot presentation on making 20-sided dice uh using yeah. a mold and a pressure chamber and um those are on YouTube and I'll I'll uh I'll post those presentations there I will ad- admit that that was back in 2006 when YouTube would cap your video length at 10 minutes so there's like 20 <laughs> videos in order to do the whole thing which is weird that YouTube used to do that and kind of funny that that was only what, like 11 years ago. But, um, but if you, you know, if you never thought like I need a large pressure chamber in my life, if you watch these videos, you'll, you'll immediately go out and try to find one because you want to then pressure chamber everything. Um, anyway, so I, I, I got just blank dice because I wanted to, I haven't, I haven't done this, but I would like to sort of create my own system that I could engrave on the dice. Um, and then I found out there's like, kind of communities of people who make their own games and so people make blank dice so you could put decals on the dice yeah. or whatever and so i thought for my own purposes it would be fun to um i i recently took uh like a short seminar on mindfulness and it was pretty interesting really and i was and it overlapped with me working on this project about sort of using the mind to uh create a, a dice rolling tower um, and so I thought like, oh, maybe I could sort of make these dice that are sort of more like, um, uh, I don't know if you know, like, a um, uh, oblique strategies, which is this card deck mm-hmm. that Brian, yeah, Eno dude. created that sort of, and, and Peter Schmidt, I think Peter Schmidt, who they created this card deck that sort of is meant to get you, um, sort of creatively stimulated or out of a creative trap that you're in. So anyway, so the, uh, the mind flex is just a serial it sends us a serial signal uh, to an Arduino. The Arduino, I'll post the code, but the Arduino just looks for the serial signal, and there's a couple of different parameters that it could look for, but I chose the attention parameter uh, mm-hmm. that is coming from the MindFlex. And when it gets more than 60% uh, 
when I when I'm uh, focusing my attention, and there's some strategy you can u- use, like uh, doing uh, basic math in your head or something to sort of create an, an attentive state. Uh, if I get above sixty percent from the mind flex, it will fire the solenoid, which pushes a dice from this sort of clip or tube at the top, uh, like a magazine. Like a magazine, exactly. Thank you. Um, through a hole in the top, and then it sort of falls down through this uh, box that I created that has different little pegs in it, and the little pegs are just um, I I I madly collect stupid things that i'll never reuse in this case i'm i'm totally vindicated for that because i'm actually reusing these things these are like those little foam brushes you get at home depot that always get really hard and filled with paint and then i save the little brush um dowels and so i use those to um help the dice sort of jiggle its way down the tower uh yeah so you uh put on the mind flex you become uh, you sort of achieve attentive state and by doing and when doing that, the dice then topple down the top of the tower uh, and out the bottom. And um, this is using. Uh, there's a really great uh, one of the videos that I'll post has um, a really great graphing um, visualizer uh, written by this great guy Eric Micah, I think is his name, who's written some really cool stuff in processing. Um, and it's a visualizer for what they call the, the NeuroSky EEG uh headset is this kind of very fancy version but it's the same chip that's in the cheaper uh mattel mindflex and he has this really great graphing uh program that you can use to sort of see what your brain waves are doing uh, and so i used that really just so i could kind of see if i was achieving an attentive state or not and kind of debugging the uh the dice roller but I, it is also a really cool way in a way to um see if you're achieving a, a attentive state so you can sort of use it as a kind of uh, kind of feedback kind of oracle to to get it going. So that's a, a rough sure. description of the project. And if you have questions, I'm certainly happy to answer them. Or if I was unclear yeah, also I mean, about other things. Makes sense to me. Uh, Ian, did, did you feel like if you weren't looking at the pictures, you would have had trouble picking that up? Dude, it's pretty awesome. I was definitely trying to, <laughs> yeah. trying to, trying to figure out like uh um so like at what point in the graph like do you achieve the mindfulness um which is uh which is ultimately i guess what releases the dice um but yeah. uh it's the yeah, light gray right. bar on the far left of the chart if on you, the far left if yeah, you're at the video. And, mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah i remember cool. being so, i can't remember if it was seagraph or what but i saw i saw a version of a game like this where there was a little table and people would sit down at opposite ends and wear head headbands like this. And then there was a little ball attached to a wire so that it, the ball could travel towards either of the players. Oh, and that's the cool. idea was not to be extra mindful, but the idea was to be as relaxed as possible. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of an inversion of normal game states where you get kind of amped up in an attempt to win. And so the people that could do the best were the ones that could just totally blank their brains out. Yeah, yeah. That's really smart. <laughs> but, That's cool. Uh, but yeah, kind of like mine, which I feel like is is set up to be extended by somebody else, I would love to see someone to get in here and figure out, you know, what are other brain states that relate to, say, like if you're attacking with a die roll versus rolling to perceive the existence of a trap or something you know could those actually be two different mind states 
and then could you have multiple dye magazines? So you would have to put your brain into different um, uh, statuses in order to roll different kinds of dice. Yeah, so this, this project is ready to get much larger, as with all three of these projects, I think. Totally, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I like that we all really tackled different components of a very, like, it, it's easy to sort of think like, oh, maybe everybody would do X, but we all actually right. did something quite different. It's nice. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Oh, dude. Yeah, it's really good. Um, well, thanks, thanks, Ian, for for jumping in. And and we know like it's like any project that you do, you're like, oh, this I can probably do this in a night. And then you're like, seven nights later, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm still working on this. So we <laughs> yeah. we we really respect your time and and thank you for diving in and doing something super super great. Um, yeah, no, it was that was a lot of fun. I I appreciated the uh, opportunity to to uh, try to do something a little bit. Uh, different from from my normal day-to-day uh, creative tasks yeah totally and, and there looks to be someone else in one of your photos who's also having a good time so hopefully at least oh, your yeah. family was amused <laughs> <laughs> yes I th- they've all been very amused by that's project. great that's great um there's a section of the podcast called what we're into um we're running a little bit long on time so um maybe we'll just each list maybe one or two things that we have uh, been inspired by or listened to or watched or tools we used or whatever uh, that maybe came uh-huh. up over the past two weeks. Um, maybe Taylor, Ian. Uh, Taylor, would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. So the the printer I used is a uh, a, re- a resin printer called the Object. And unlike the MakerBot, which operates on FDM or fused deposition modeling, uh, this is a print where you have a very thin skim of a resin that's UV cured. So it looks kind of like a Xerox machine where you lay out, you roll out a really thin um, uh, a sheet of slime, basically, and then come back over with points of UV light that uh, that um, put that into place. Uh, but apart from that, man, I just got really down uh, and basic, you know. So I, I had some processing in Arduino code left over from a previous class, and then I had pieces laying around my house. So I don't think I bought anything except for the prints. And for the most part, was revisiting stuff that I already had, but it was kind of a it was rewarding in that I've been using my website as sort of a way to keep notes for myself, you know. So I, I think we often think about websites completely as outward facing, but this was an example where I just logged, you know, here's how you get Arduino talking to processing, and then just left it there. And so when this project came up, I was actually searching on my own website to you know try to pick that thing up, and I think I'm going to keep, it, it was really successful, right? So I'm going to keep going with this working style in the future where um, I'm just documenting waypoints along the way and figuring out um, technical processes um, as much for myself as any other audience. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Ian, do you have anything that you were into? Yeah, so so I have to say this project really gave me... Um, a great appreciation for a lot of the like just kind of basic tools that um that I had like in the basement and that I've kind of collected over time so like the table saw like it's kind of weird it's like you use like uh table saws jigsaws like um the circular saw chop saw like all of this stuff um is really easy to use like when it comes to doing 90 degree cuts um, when it comes to making like some kind of crazy geometric object like this, um, like I just found like, uh, 
like figuring out how to use all of these what you would probably consider basic tools to do something just a little bit different but infinitely more challenging um, to be a very like refreshing uh, exercise so one of the things that I found um, uh, when I was like <laughs> just trying to figure out how to how to do all of this without cutting my fingers off um, like if you like search around on Amazon you'll find they have these like um, you can buy these like really cool tools that will allow you to grip stuff while putting through putting it through a table saw without chopping your fingers off. Now, um, in all honesty, I was trying to figure out if I could like three D print one of these things. Uh, I'm trying to remember they're called like you know like the like grippers or like whatever it is. It's it's really just like a plastic tool that allows you to like hold on to the part and push it through the the saw um, and keeping your hands at a safe distance. Mm -hmm. um, so I found that pretty interesting, but. Um, really just like looking at like the basic cutting tools that we had uh, like around and oh and brad nailers man that dewalt brad nailer was was like, <laughs> like i'm totally into that i just want to find stuff to nail together yeah brad nailers are great project. yeah yeah it's like if you've ever <laughs> like, thought like a stapler could be a little bit bigger and more useful than that the brad nailer mm -hmm. is your thing I, yep. I always love this saying, uh, when you're a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. <laughs> <laughs> this is the exact opposite. Yeah. It's like when you have a brad nailer, you just want to like nail things. Together. <laughs> um, awesome. Thanks. I have two uh, quick things. The first one is um, I've been subscribed to this email newsletter uh, called A Woman to Know by Julia Carpenter. Um, you get a daily woman to know email in your inbox. And um, a lot of them are historical figures are kind of interesting women uh, doing cool things. And one of the emails this week was particularly memorable. It was really quite, quite amazing. And it was a woman named, I'm going to mispronounce her name, Helen Hulick, who was jailed for wearing pants <laughs> uh, while testifying in the U.S. court in 1938. And she got this kind of ridiculous reprimand from a judge. She was testifying in court. So I assume she was like, just kind of there, you know, on behalf of this other court case that was happening. But she wore slacks or pants, you know, to to court. And the judge sort of gave her this ridiculous reprimand that said, like, if you insist on wearing slacks again, you'll be prevented from testifying because that would hinder the administration of justice. Be prepared to be punished for according, according to the law for contempt of court. And so on the next day, she was like, you know, screw this dude. And she came back to the court wearing pants and was jailed for it. <laughs> and um, so I just thought, like, that was a totally awesome uh, kind of uh, protest approach. Well, also, did they give her a, a skirt in jail or did she wear pants? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good question. And, and, like, that was 1938, which feels like a long time ago, but wasn't even, like, 100 years ago. So... That's kind of depressing. Um, though I'll, I'll admit, like, I did disparage a guy the other day wearing a util kilt. <laughs> so, so, but he was in Portland, and, you know, you can't wear a util kit in Portland. It's too obvious. Like, like it's, you know, come on, it's Portland. It's like, it's like if you're a barista, you can't have a handlebar mustache. But anyway. Um, uh, but I wanted to give my other, other link shout out to Unibits, um, which are a thing that I actually haven't had very long in my toolkit. Uh, but I totally love. They're also called step bits. Um, they're like a cone-shaped drill bit that has uh -huh. little steps. By steps, I mean like little kind of indentions uh, walking up the incline of the bit. Um, and they're great for a number of reasons. 
One, the biggest one for me is you can drill acrylic with them. So if you need to drill holes into an acrylic sheet, a uh, regular drill bit will severely crack in a kind of alarming way. The acrylic and, and a step bit won't, which is really nice. Because um, acrylic always freaks me out because I think I'm going to crack it. Um, secondly, you can drill like really nice smooth holes of varying sizes uh, into PVC pipe really well. And I did that for this project. And you can cut like thin aluminum and steel sheets with them, which is really good. And I have about four sizes. Some are quite thin and some are quite chunky. You can get them at like a home store or something uh, or at like a Harbor Freight or somewhere like that. Um, and of course online. Um, and I think, but one thing I wanted to note about them is it's important to look at how deep each step on the bit is. Uh, some are quite shallow. And, and what I mean by that is, so as you drill into a thing, the depth, of each step limits the thickness of your material. So if each step is only like an eighth of an inch, then the material that you're drilling needs to only be an eighth of an inch or thinner. So if you wonder why you're looking at the different step bits, like why are some of them so long and kind of wide and some of them are very thin and shallow, it's because the the depth of each of those steps actually matters. Um, And lastly, the one thing that's um, kind of really cool about a step bit is if you've ever used a classic circle cutter or a hole saw, right? Like, I always cut a hole too small on accident. (laughs) So if you're cutting a one inch diameter hole with a hole saw and you cut it out and then you realize you needed a one and an eighth inch diameter because your pipe, your one inch pipe now doesn't fit in the one inch hole. You don't have any way to make it one eighth inch bigger, the hole because you cut centers blown out. Exactly. Exactly. The center is blown out. So uh, what's nice about a step bit is, is you can just push the drill the step bit all the way through to the point where you need to start again and just make it that one eighth inch bigger. And for me, as someone who's uh, stupidly imprecise often, it's really nice to have a tool that allows you to be dumb, you know, and be like, Oh, I made the hole too small. Now I can make it just a little bit bigger. Um, And then, and then do that thing instead of being like, no, I have to drill a whole new piece of wood because I blew the hole out. So anyway, I'll link to some Unibits in show notes, but I, they're super cool thing. They're kind of weird for someone who maybe has a small toolkit. Um, it wouldn't be a thing that you would immediately gravitate to in a home store or something, but they're quite fun and, and, and really easy to use and not scary. Uh, and they're pretty cheap. Uh, let's see. Let's see. What have we got? Uh, so challenge wrap up, uh, if you go to projects.opposablepodcast.com, uh, we'll have also in show notes, um, we'll have photos, videos, and all all sorts of other things of all three of our projects. Uh, you can listen to episodes directly on opposablepodcast.com, or you can subscribe to Opposable Thumbs, uh, through iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, and all the other podcast app platforms, uh, just in search inside those applications for the phrase Opposable Thumbs, and you should see that there. Our logo art is created by the mighty Wolf Mask. You can check out his work at wolfmaskart.co.uk. Uh, he's a really great person, and we're super psyched that he made us such a cool, awesome logo. Uh, we have a Patreon page on the website as well. Uh, please go to opposablepodcast.com or patreon.com slash thumbs to sponsor us. Uh, we have three sponsorship tiers there that you can check out, so if you are not don't have a lot of money, we can totally accommodate that and would love to... Um, get hooked up by you so we can keep doing this podcast um i would like to give a shout out to kelly for being our very first patron yes, yes. thank you kelly <laughs> we are now kelly. Woo! um there can only be one first patron and you are that person so thanks uh, <laughs> kelly is an amazing guitar player and singer and you can check out her site at kelly so thank you kelly um 
just a quick note we do have a code of contact conduct uh for on the podcast and also on the website um we're dedicated to providing a harassment free experience for everyone regardless of race gender age sexual orientation disability physical appearance body size or knowledge of subject matter or religion or that lack thereof uh, we actively support an inclusive environment and we want you to be a part of it you can check out our full code of conduct over at our site um a real quick shout out to our roots this podcast is based loosely on a few podcasts firstly the do by friday podcast which is a weekly challenge show hosted by merlin Mann, alex cox and max timken uh they decide on a challenge each week and then talk about how the challenge went so if you take that podcast and combine it maybe with the cool tools podcast by kevin kelly and mark fraunfelder you get about halfway to this podcast um also another influence on this podcast is uh todd bailey's nerd battle events that he used to do in chicago uh, I helped host one of them, and it might be actually how Taylor and I met. Taylor, do you did we know one another before the Nerd Battle? Or, uh, I mean, so I I performed in the Nerd Battle where I made a pair of light up shoes that lit up in time to Billy Jean. Yep. And I can't I can't and think won. of knowing you. You or, won. Wait, wait, wait. Oh yes, I did win. Yeah, you yes. won. Yeah. I'm, I'm blushing over here for a picture of me blushing. See our website. Uh, yeah, maybe that is how we met. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. I feel like you were such a fixture in the Chicago new media scene. I sort of can't can't remember a time before I knew ye. Yeah, I was trying um, to remember, but it certainly I was certainly wowed by Taylor at that winning of uh, the nerd battle with his amazing shoes. And I, there is a video of that somewhere on the internet, and we'll, I'll see if I can link to it. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. I do. I am also psyched to say that on episode number two of our podcast, we have listener feedback. Woohoo! Uh, listener Rich Mansfield emailed us to suggest uh, The Complete Metalsmith as a book that he really loves and has kept for almost 20 years. And we'll put a link to that book in show notes. If you have, Before you go yeah, on, yep. I, I can't. Rich will have to tell me if this is apocryphal or not. I went to grad school with Rich Mansfield, and I seem to remember him telling me his story. So he is. Um, he is not exceedingly tall, uh, and he was saying something about going into the army, like the Marines or something, and to put some meat on his bones, they made him carry artillery shells back and forth across the football <laughs> field, and then he had to eat at the beginning and the end of every single meal. So I'll have to ask Rich if this is true, but the, the numbers that I recall were that he went from 100 pounds to 150 amazing which i can only assume was just muscle wow uh which sounds pretty awesome to me but that is awesome yeah we we should we should definitely it would be great to get a a picture of rich oh yeah yeah doing it yeah let's okay i'll I'll work on that (laughs) uh okay uh, the next challenge this is the, the part where we get to sort of brainstorm uh what we'll be doing for the next two weeks Ian, of Ian, course, are you, you are still with us. You are very welcome yeah. to jump in. <laughs> yes, I'm still here. Ian, Ian, what's uh, what should our next challenge be? What do you think? Oh my goodness, you, I, I wasn't prepared for this one. Um, uh, let me think. Uh, what did you want? Something that's going to be like uh, out of uh, found materials, out of uh, electronics, out of uh, what? what did, what's uh, what's the starting point? Uh, I like both of those as a starting point. <laughs> Uh-huh, all right uh-huh. found found materials and electronics i think there we go oh like, like so found electronics that that'll work Ooh, there you go yeah the repurposing repurposing of found electronics yes i, I um, think we found our third episode 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, well done, Ian. That All took right, about five yeah. seconds. Yeah, that's great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, excellent. I'm going to put my brain on that. And we still have to figure out who our next guest is, so that'll remain a mystery, Rob, unless you want to do some radio magic and come back and edit that in. It will. No, uh, we'll, we'll leave it a mystery. Maybe we'll post it uh, on the website or something if people are really curious. Perfect. Well, thanks, dudes. That was great. Yeah, that was really great. Ian, thank you so much for being our first guest. I know that is kind of weird and maybe a little bit scary. So thanks uh-huh. thanks for coming uh-huh. on board. Your project was totally amazing, and you the have best. given us an excellent third challenge. <laughs> thanks. I, I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. All right. I think that Enjoy does your it. burrito. I'm going to go look at the ground and see if I can find some weird, crazy electronics that might still work. <laughs> All right. Outro music goes here. Eventually. Maybe. In the future. If we have a future, we made it more than one hour past where we were before. I guess that counts for something. Right? <laughs>